of my favorite uh, guys who writes columns in newspapers is David Ignatius, who was here a few weeks ago as one of our adult forum speakers. And recently he had a column and he talked about a post-truth world. And he was quoting some different people there about the, the war on global information, the global information war, and says, how does, does truth ever get to win? And he says in that column that facts are overwhelmed by propaganda in our lives. We all know about fake news. We all hear about it from whichever side you happen to be. And there was an article written by, uh, in the week, uh, written by Krista Tippett. And then she's quoting from a recent Stanford University study that found that 82% of middle schoolers nationwide could not distinguish a real news story on a website from an advertisement by a business. And she called it a truth crisis. Well, to today we encounter John the Baptist, and he's telling us the truth. He's inviting us to consider his perspective of the truth. For all of us who are members of the Christian faith, John the Baptist is an important person. He appears every second Sunday of Advent. Every one of the Gospels, all four of them, contain something about John the Baptist. The early church thought that he was a very important person. And when he comes is preaching the Gospel of Repentance... As you well know, repentance is not about whipping yourself. It's not self-flagellation. I don't believe in self-flagellation. You don't believe in self-flagellation. So what, what is repentance? It comes from the Greek word metanoia, which is two words put together meaning a change of your mind, a change of what you're thinking. And that's what repentance is all about, is turning around. It's about making a change. It's about thinking differently. It's about changing your mindset. And that's what John the Baptist comes to proclaim. The question for all of us to understand John the Baptist is this. Do you have need for a Savior? Do you have need for a Savior? That's the most important question we each have to ask ourselves. If we know and acknowledge that we have a need for a Savior, then John the Baptist is telling us there's a way to prepare for that. These Sundays of Advent, we call them Sundays of preparation for the birth of the Messiah, which is not... It's not really the birth of the Messiah. The Messiah was born 2,000 years ago. But it is the rebirth of hope in our hearts once more. It's when we celebrate liturgically and in the church calendar the hope for rebirth, which is what Advent is. We are celebrating the rebirth of hope in our hearts. And that can only be celebrated and acknowledged if we can acknowledge for ourselves that we are in need of salvation, that we are in need of a Savior. There's a poem. Do you read Mary Oliver? The poet. I know, I know. This is the Episcopal Church. I don't expect hallelujahs, amen, or anything else, but I do expect a nod if you read Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver has a wonderful poem which is entitled The Journey. And the last couplet of that poem goes like this. As you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. When I read that, I found myself arguing with the poem because I don't think that I can save my own life any more than I can save anybody else's life. Our hope lies in the Savior. Our hope for salvation can only come if we can acknowledge the need for a Savior. There are two, I think, 
issues, which uh, I think John the Baptist is talking about in our story today. At least I offer them for your consideration. There are many other ones, but there are a couple that I identify in this particular reading. I think that there are two sins with which most of us live, somewhere between them or somewhere at both, ex at both ends of it. The first one, of course, is presumption, and the other one is despair. Some years ago, I had the opportunity to visit for the only time in my life the Louvre, and there was a sculpture there that was a sculpture of Prometheus. And when I went to see the sculpture of Prometheus, I, what I wrote down for myself, I saw it as a representation of human striving and the risk of overreaching. And I wrote for myself in the classical Western tradition, it is the embodiment of the lone genius whose efforts to improve human existence can also res result in tragedy. There's a group that comes to see John the Baptist. They're the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and right away, John the Baptist says to them, do not presume, do not presume. He's talking about presumption, and he calls them a brood of vipers, which I think is pretty harsh language. I'd prefer not to call of us who participate in presumption a brood of vipers, but he's warning us, do not presume. Presumption is a behavior that is boldly arrogant. It is offensive. It is effrontery to all of us. And there's a language that goes along with, the la with presumption, the mindset of presumption. And the language that I identify with presumption is this. I know what is best for you. Think about parents. How many times have we told that to our children? Our children are now old, 30 and 27, but my memory's still good to remember all the times that I told our daughters, I know what's best for you. Or listen to this language, don't worry about it, I'll fix it. I'll know much more about this than you do. I know how to do it. Yesterday I was reading the book review section of the, of the Wall Street Journal and there was a review there in the book about a, the life of, of Vladimir Mayakovsky, who's a Russian poet. And I was introduced to the poetry of uh, Vladimir Mayakovsky by William Sloan Coffin when I took a class from him uh, uh, up there at Union Theological Seminary in New York City. And when I read to him, uh, read him about Mayakovsky was the poet of the 20th century Russian Revolution. And when the Russian Revolution came around, Mayakovsky wrote about how, in his poetry, he wrote about how the Russian Revolution was going to be like the second flood, the second flood after Noah, that it was going to cleanse the world, that it was going to fix everything, that everything was going to be fine, and all we had to do was just follow along with the revolution, and everything was going to be hunky-dork. All the cities of the earth would be cleansed. Then about 15 years later, he, the words that he wrote go like this. And now, as they say, the incident is closed. Love's boat has smashed against the daily grind. The poet of the revolution recognized that presumption caved to disillusionment. That presumption didn't always work the best in terms of what somebody said was going to happen. And he's so disillusioned that he commits suicide. You and I know how the Russian Revolution ended. A couple of weeks ago, Fidel Castro died. For those of you who are visiting this congregation today, I'm an uh, immigrant from Cuba, 1961. 
So I had a time to reflect on things that had happened since uh, Fidel Castro took over on January the 1st, 1959. And I went and looked, I, I paid attention to all the TV shows where they were showing clips of him coming into Havana uh, in January the 1st, 1959, and the adulation from the crowds, and we knew about all the cheering and all of the changes that were going to take place and how Cuba was going to become the perfect island, the perfect socialist island where everybody would live in harmony and so on. Well, you and I know how that turned out. So every time that I hear the language of revolution by anybody, whenever I hear the language of revolution, I think, I've seen this bad movie before. And presumption, I think, John the Baptist is inviting us to consider how to turn our minds around, how to change our minds, how to examine the world acknowledging the need for a savior, the need for salvation. But let's leave presumption and now turn to the twin equal evil sin, which is despair. If presumption is the premature anticipation of fulfillment, then despair is the premature anticipation of non-fulfillment, and they go together. This is the second crowd that comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. They're the folks who come because they are in desperate situation. They are experiencing despair. Consider this, John the Baptist there hadn't been a prophet in the land for 600 years, and for the Jewish people, a prophet was an incredibly important person in the life of faith. And for 600 years, there hadn't been one prophet in the land, not one word. So when he shows up, the people who had been experiencing despair for 600 years says, you know, I need to do something about it. And they came down there, they came down there to look at their lives. Barbara Brown Taylor writes about it, it's in her book, in it, she talks about repentance as a need not to beat ourselves up, but about our need to give up on despair, to repent of the arrogance that we have, thinking that God can't save us, to save us from utter despair. And I think that's what John the Baptist is preaching today. Preaching to them, he's preaching to us. The two twin evils, presumption and despair, wherever it is that, wherever it is that we participate. The language of despair is easy to detect also. Think about this. Think about how many times you've heard this. I'll never learn it. I'll never change. I'll never be able to love again. I'll never be able to recover. I'll never get it. I'll never get a job again. I'll never... Fill in the blank for yourself. Every time you hear that language, it is the language of despair, and it's not the language of hope. I was reading an article not too long ago, and it's about Cory Booker, who is the senator from the state of New Jersey. And this is happening before he became the mayor of Newark. It's when he's campaigning. And it's a story about when he went to the Brick Towers Tenants Association meeting, and there he met the head of, the, of that association, a woman by the name of Virginia Jones. And so she opened the door for him. He introduced himself, and he said that he wanted to come in, and he wanted to be the mayor of Newark, New Jersey, to be able to help people out. So Mrs. Jones took him outside, outside to the street, and there she demanded what he's to, see, to tell her what he saw around him. 
and he said he saw drug dealers, a crack house, run-down projects, and the woman responded with, well, you can't help me, and she started to walk away. The story goes that Booker caught up with her and demanded an explanation, and he said, young men, you need to learn something. The world you see outside of you is a reflection of what you see inside of you. If you're one of those people who see problems, darkness, and despair everywhere, that's where you're going to find it. But if you're able to see opportunity, if you're able to see love, and if you're able to see the face of God in every other human being, then perhaps you will be able to help us. I think John the Baptist is preaching a repentance of the sin of despair as he is preaching repentance of the sin of presumption, about keeping an eye on our despair and never ever letting it get the best of us. Repentance and judgment. It is about the opportunity to be able to change direction. Presumption and despair, the twin evils, the twin sins with which we live. Prometheus and Sisyphus, but they can be overcome if we can empty our hearts, if we can empty our spirits to let the hope of the Christ child be born again in our hearts. We don't have to be destroyed by a predictable future. We can, with God, create a preferable future for all of us. John the Baptist appears every second Sunday of Advent, offering all of us a fresh start, a cold shower, a cure for presumption and for despair, offering us a life of repentance and new life, a life of repentance and forgiveness, a life of repentance and a new direction. Amen.